This message has the tendency to maybe be a little bit of a downer, um, but, we'll, but we'll turn it around, okay? Because um, Psalm 42 and 43 are perhaps the most uh, somber and um, heavy-hearted psalms in the Bible. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to read them in a few moments uh, to you before I actually start to preach here and, and get into the text. But as I do, it, it's, my, it's my hope that, that you feel um, the weight and the heaviness of the words um, that, are on, that we will be reading. Um, and we should not be surprised um, that these words are in the Bible. Expect I, you know, I, we should expect them to be in God's word because Romans 8 tells us that creation it was subject to futility, that the whole creation is groaning, and it's not just creation. We ourselves are groaning. Um, and yet if we go to 2 Peter chapter 1, we read that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has used this psalm or the psalmist to write to us about the realities of life in a fallen and sinful or sin-cursed world. Um, I would argue that if these two psalms, Psalm 42 and 3, if they were not in the Bible, that the Bible would be incomplete. Um, and I would even go as far as saying that God would not really be loving and compassionate and caring and merciful and gracious because he would have left out part of the, the realities of living in a sin-cursed world, the realities of living in this world. And so we know these words are here from God through a psalmist um, to encourage us, um, to provide some consolation to us in, in the harshness of life sometimes, but it also contains the solution. And so we can have confidence in our God because we know that this is going to deal with the realities of life. And I don't need to spend a whole lot of time, I don't think, building a case um, to you to prove that we live in a fallen world, right? You don't need to look any further than you click on the TV and you watch the news, all right? You, you jump online, maybe you read a newspaper, you're on Facebook, right? You can see the effects of sin. You look at your own life. Right? You see strained relationships, you see anger and bitterness and resentment and pride and ingratitude, and it might be in you, but it might be also in family members, children, maybe a spouse, friends, co-workers, neighbors. There's times when we feel separated from God, but then there's also times when we feel completely like overwhelmed with life. We struggle to maintain priorities and to, to balance so many different things that are going on. There's physical ailments and illnesses that limit us and what we can do, how we can maybe not be here this morning or fellowshipping or serving. Um, and if we're, we're really honest, right, Christianity is continually being pushed out to the margins, right, of society, right? And our voice is becoming, seems to be, less heard and quieter and softer. And so there's those pressures as well. And all those things that I just listed, that's, that's reality, right? That's the world that we live in. And all of this is captured in Psalm 42 and 43 for this reason, because Psalm 42 and 43 never talks about specifically what's going on in this psalmist's life, right? Nothing specific. So it captures all of life. So I want to read the text this morning, and then I'm going to pray for us that by God's grace that we will hear his truth 
clearly this morning. Psalm 42 and 43. Yes, please stand. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the, with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with, with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, Why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceit and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill to, and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to spend a few moments in your word. Lord, your word is truth. I pray that you would sanctify us with your truth. Lord, these words are in this book because they apply to our life and because you are a loving and gracious and merciful God and there is truth here for us this morning. So I pray that you would give me the words to speak. Lord, that I would say nothing more and nothing less than you would have for me. Lord, that you would be made much of, that you would get your glory, that we would know you and love you and cherish you more because of our time here this morning. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope you could feel the weight of that, of those psalms. And I believe that the psalm was originally, 42 and 43 was one psalm, and there's many reasons for that. 
and at some point in history they got divided. I don't know why, right? Because if for nothing else, you can see this kind of pattern. There was like the stanza, and then there's a refrain. There's a stanza and a refrain, and a stanza and a refrain, and the refrain was really similar, right? The three refrains, and so that's how we're going to break this down this morning. All right, I know that's in your bulletin. There's three stanzas. Right, we'll take time and walk through each of these. The first is Psalm 42, verses 1 through 6a, and this talks about droughts. Then you have Psalm 42, 6b through 11, that talks about deluge. And then you have Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5, and there's, there's the deliverance. Okay, so as we're working through this together, um, one more thing to be thinking about. Um, Psalm 42 when you read Psalm 42, that is an internal dialogue. Okay, the psalmist is struggling within himself or with himself. And then in Psalm 43, there's a, there's a switch, there's a hinge. And all of a sudden, it's an external dialogue to, to God. Okay, so don't miss those two things. All right? And although there's no specifics about the situation, we know, we can see and sense the, the pain and the desperation, and the sorrow, and the despair, and the longing, right? See, I told you this could be kind of a downer, right? Right? We're going to get there, though, because hope in God. So, chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 42, all right? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, I need to stop, okay, here, because first of all, I, I, want, I want to paint a picture for you of what this panting looks like, and this panting does not look like what you're going to see online if you Google search as the deer pants, okay? This, the image you're going to get is a deer, and there's going to be nice green grass, right? And there's going to be a flowing stream of water, all right? If you might have, you might have cards that you receive from somebody with this verse on it, or a mug, okay? That's not the picture that this psalmist is trying to paint. Okay? Pant means, okay, you're, you're rising up and you're looking for, there's, there's an intense desire for something, okay? But it's not peaceful, right? It's not calm, it's not relaxing, okay? The same words are used in Joel chapter 1, verse 20, and, here, and here's, the, here's, here's the verse. Even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Okay, so the psalmist is talking about this longing and this desire, and there's this drought that has come upon him, a severe drought, a severe spiritual drought, and there's a sense of desperation. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O gods. There's a desperation for God, for the things of God, but yet he feels physically cut off, emotionally cut off, spiritually cut off. So verse 2, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? So this desperation grows. The, the, the separation is getting wider. The gap is getting wider. He's the living God. He, he has life. He contains life. He gives life. But yet, I'm, I'm separated from him. Where is he? I'm panting for him. 
My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? The sorrow and the despair leads to, to not eating. Weeping has replaced eating. Have, have you ever been there? Right? Where, where there's so much going on and you're so distraught that like it's hard to eat because you're so emotionally distraught and, and despairing. And this is where this psalmist is. And day and night, okay, that, that's a merism. It's, it's contrasting words. Okay, it takes two words and two to talk talk about an entirety. All right. So think of this. If I tell you that this morning before we walked out the door, I was searching high and low for my car keys, you know that I was I was searching the whole house. Right? So day and night refers to at all times. So at all times, the tears of this psalmist has been his foods. The weeping and the sorrow and the despair is normal. That's what he's feeling at this moment. And the tears are telling him, where is your God? Where is he? It's calling to question the presence of God in the psalmist's life. All right? I I, I trust God. I have professed faithfulness to God. I, I look to God as my protector but, but, but where is he? Did, he? did I ever really know him? Do I, do I, where is he? And so the situation that the psalmist is writing about is driving his belief. And we get to verse 4, and it's these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and, and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping Festival. So he's trying to combat this drought, this loneliness, with memory. I used to do these things, and these were these were these were good things. The, 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 this was this is when my, my relationship with God was was strong and, and vibrant. There were, there was fellowship. There was communion. He was like right here next to me. I remember that. These things I remember. Uh, it's not just this vague recollection like, oh yeah, remember when that happened? This is a absolute resolve to remember these things to the point where if I remember them hard enough and long enough and clear enough, then that will take care of my spiritual droughts. That will take care of, of what I'm experiencing right now. Those memories will help resolve the issue, and I will tell you that deliverance can only come from God, not from, from memories. Right? He, he's confident that he will relive this, and he'll get back there, but he's, he's going to do this. There's a forced nostalgia going on here, and I can get there if I remember long enough and hard enough. Now, don't hear me say that remembering or, mem- or remembering good times and sweet times of fellowship and communion with God is bad. All right? Don't hear that, but hear me say that if you rely on that to get you through a hard time, it's not going to be effective. Okay? You, you, your deliverance can only come 
from God's. Then we get to our first refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist almost starts to rebuke himself a little bit here. Right? For his despondency, for his despair, for his sorrow. Right? He's allowed himself to dwell on the, the dryness of the situation, the droughts. Right? But yet he's got these thoughts and these emotions and these actions that have kind of lodged themselves deep in his heart and they're starting to define who he is. Right? He's focusing on the situation and this speaks to us in this day and age because we do the exact same thing. I do the exact same thing. Okay? We, we can find satisfaction in being miserable, right? Or being unhappy, okay? And we can actually get to a point, we can convince ourselves that it's actually, there's, there's some virtue in living like that, right? There's, there's virtue, okay? We can live with a sense of martyrdom, and it drives us to think, well, if I live this way and look this way and act this way, that I'm going to get praise, and it almost becomes like a foundation for us, Okay, that's not what God has called us to do. Okay, we can refuse to be comforted. Okay, I've been there. Okay, there are times when I actually get a load of this one. All right, I actually ignore the relief that God is providing for me. And we think, we believe that we always have to be happy. This is kind of the flip side of all of this. Like, that sorrow and mourning, that's just not acceptable. Christians are not supposed to be sorrowful and are not supposed to mourn. Okay? It's this kind of attitude of, life is all good, all the time, I have no issues, why do you? (laughs) Right? But yet, there's a a balance here, right? Because we, we live in a fallen, sinful world, and we're going to be sorrowful, and we're, we're going to mourn. But yet, there's this eternal idea, this eternal focus of hoping in God. If we focus too much uh, on the droughts, and on the dryness, and we despair, and we're sorrowful, right? We, it's this hopeless. But you, we have greatest hope in the gospel, right? But yet if we live with this, it's all good all the time, we lose touch with reality, right? We become cold and disconnected. So it's this balance, okay? The realities of life in a fallen world, but yet there's eternity, and we'll be with Jesus forever in heaven, and that needs to drive us. Okay, this is not unique to Psalm 42 and 43. You can go to Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. And Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There's a balance. I, I want to be with Jesus, but I'm here. Like, and so I've got to do things here, but I want to be there. 
John chapter 12, verses 27, through the first part of verse 28. This is Jesus' words. And he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Our Lord and Savior, right, was living in that exact same balance. Right? And so I go to Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, and it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help and help in our time of need. Jesus wrestled with that same balance and he can identify with our weaknesses. Hope in God. Trust him. He loves you. He cares for you. Okay? Look at it this way. God went to such great lengths to secure our salvation through his son. Would he not be concerned about what's going on in your life and the situations in your life, the matters of life? Absolutely. Right? Hope in God. And then we get to the second verse, all right, the second passage, and this is Psalm 42, verses 6b through 12. And the psalmist continues, okay, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember, oh, okay, wait a minute, right? We just learned that like, memories, they're good, but, right? Relief can only come from, from God, Okay, so he's recognizing that his soul is cast down. Therefore, I'm, I'm going to remember more. Maybe I'm not remembering hard enough. All right, so I'm going to remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. So those locations are in northern Palestine. Okay, it's an area of the headwaters of the Jordan River. Okay, and I believe that the psalmist is saying these are places that represent times when I experienced the presence of God. Right, so this 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 idea of like this these memories these places should get rid of the 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 droughts. Okay, but but there's a change that comes here that's absolutely fascinating when you get to verse seven and it says. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Right? We, we can go back to 42, verse 1, and remember, he, he's as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. So he, he's looking for these flowing streams. But he doesn't get flowing streams. Okay, what's he gets? Deep waterfalls, breakers, waves. Okay, not what he was looking for, not what he, he was expecting. Okay, and, and don't miss, okay, don't miss the word your. 
Okay? It's your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. Right? The psalmist does recognize that God's allowing this. Right? God is sovereign. God is responsible and allows things, the oceans of trials, the deep, the waterfalls, those times when we feel like we're drowning, right? God's there in all of this. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay? But the Spirit of God was, was hovering in the midst of it, right? The darkness and the deep, the chaos. Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Right, so you, you get this idea, this recognition that, that God is there, yet the, these memories are not going to be successful and provide the relief that this psalmist is looking for. And he can quickly become overwhelmed with the situation and it can consume his thoughts and consume his life. And then we get to verse 8 and it says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my, my life. And now that verse, right, when I read through this, like that verse seems out of place to me. There seems to be like this, this, like this glimmer of like hope in that, right, when you read that verse. I look at it this way. I think that that verse, that psalmist is remembering that in the midst of all of this, as he's feel like he's drowning in the deep, there's this gracious gulp of air. And he remembers, right, before he gets pulled back under or before the waves crash back over him. Okay, when we, we, we've been up here for nine years, okay, and when we, we candidated up here at the church in Waldeboro, the First Baptist Church in Waldeboro, on our way back to New York, we stopped off at Old Orchard Beach. Um, and there was a hurricane or a big storm off the coast, all right, it was sunny and gorgeous on the beach, but the waves were massive, right? Absolutely massive. And so our kids were a lot shorter and a lot younger um, then. And so I was like, well, this is awesome, right? Let's go, kids. Let's run out there and let's have some fun. And so, and the water was freezing. But anyway, we ran out into this water. And this, this, is how, this, is how I, this is how I wrap my head around this gracious gulp of air. Because I was like, yeehaw. And I go booking out. And we had these little styrofoam boogie board things that we were riding. And like I jumped on one and tried to catch a wave. And I didn't catch the wave. And I was bouncing off the bottom of the, of the sand. And the waves were crashing over me. And every once in a while, like... I would get that gulp of air and then get, bam, beaten back down again, right? And I get back up and I'm standing around like looking like what on earth just happened to me? That's Psalm 42, verse, verse 8. That's that, that gulp of air in the midst of getting broken over with the breakers, being inundated, that God is, is there. There's, there's that gracious gulp of air. And there's a sense of a, a prayer to the God of my life. Like, 
these times of deluge should drive us to God. Right? Not drive us away. It should drive us to Him. So we should not, we should never cease to call to God. And in verse 9, and we, we see this, right? I say to God, my, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of, of my enemy? So the psalmist recognizes, like, God's my defense. He, he's my helper. He's my savior. But the implication here is that the omniscient God's forgotten. Right? In the midst of the situation, the psalmist is questioning God's omniscience. Because all he knows is this oppression and this deluge, and he's drowning and from some thing or somebody, and, and where's, have you forgotten me? Where are you? And as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Okay, the Psalms often use images of physical trauma to reflect emotional um, distress. Okay, so this deadly wound in my bones is, is emotional, I believe. I think the taunts are real. Okay, and you can almost hear the taunts. Right? This psalmist is experiencing something, and you can hear the taunts. Really? God? Yahweh? You, you say you believe in him, and you follow him, and you're, you're, you're a child of, of God? You wouldn't be experiencing this if God's as great as you say he is. I mean, you definitely wouldn't be experiencing it alone. Like, so obviously, you're not a child of God. He's abandoned you, or there's no God. Like, well, what's your problem? Can you hear the taunts from the people? And as with the tears in verse 3, the taunting of his enemies calls into question God's presence. The seeds of doubt are, are planted. Man, is, is God absent? Am I, am I really I'm, I'm alone here? I, I, doubt creeps in. Despair can creep in. It can cloud our thinking. And then we get to the refrain, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There, there's no relief of the stress. Right? It, it's a battle at this point of thinking and of emotion and of action. He knows God's near, but where is he? He's rebuking himself again, right? And he, he's, he's focusing on this overwhelming nature, this overwhelming situation and he speaks to us, the psalmist speaks to us in this because guess what? We do the same thing. Right? We become overwhelmed and we shut down and we stop trying. Okay? We, co- we question God's presence. We question his goodness. We question his, his character. We, we start believing the lies of Satan. Okay, and, and Jason probably has done this with you. If he hasn't, you need to let me know that so I can rebuke him. 
right? Because this is what this is one of Jason's go-to verses here. It's 1 Corinthians 10:13, right? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay? Satan takes that verse, I believe, takes those promises that are that are in that verse and he flips them around on you. Okay? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Satan's idea is, oh, please, you're the only one that's ever had to go through this. Right? You are unique, that you're the only one that has had this situation in your life. God is faithful. God faithful? He's, letting you, he's brought this into your life. How is God faithful? Right? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You are sunk. Right? It's, it's, it, this is unique. He's not faithful, and he's like sold you up the river. Right? And you've got no hope. A way of escape? You're dead meat. Why try? That's what Satan does. He takes those and likes to flip them around on us, and we start believing almost, or not almost, we do start believing that those are actually true, that maybe God isn't faithful. Maybe this is more than I can handle. Maybe this is not something common. Right? And then we ignore or we miss the relief that God provides because we're too focused on the situation. And remember, it's, it's balance, right? It's balance. The realities of living in a fallen world, balanced with hope, of, hope in God's sinful world, eternity at stake, hope in God, trust Him, He loves you, He cares for you, He's actively and intimately involved in your life, He's the only true source of comfort and peace. He is ready, he is willing, and he is able to help. He sent his son to pay your sin debt. He can surely take care of the situations in your life. Hope in God. And then we get to Psalm 43, and here's deliverance. Here's the shift. Here's the hinge. The language changes. The psalmist stops talking about himself and about a situation, and he starts talking to God about God. 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Right? Be my divine judge. Be my defense attorney. You're God. This is what you do. Do this work. Defend my cause. Take care of the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me from him. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? It's almost like, what's my problem? Right? God is my refuge. Not the memories. God is my refuge. Okay, I'm not really rejected here. Okay, he's, there's, this, there's this mourning, right? There's still the, the mourning that's there. Okay, but it's, so the situation hasn't changed, but his attitude and his mindset has changed. Verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. I need you. Show me the way. 
take me to your holy hill. Guess what? If you're on God's holy hill, the waves and the breakers and the waterfalls can't get you. If you're in God's dwelling, there's refreshment there, not droughts. Lead me to these places. Send out your light and your truth. Show yourself. Open my eyes, open my heart and my mind to see you in this. The psalmist doesn't ask him to take away the problem or the situation. He asks him just to show, show yourself in this. Show yourself. Dispel the darkness. Okay, the, a missionary friend of mine, Yuri Varga, over in Hungary, um, and he says this frequently, and I love it. He says, when it is dark, the light shines that much brighter. Right? As Christians, we need God's light and we need his truth to guide us in times of drought and times of deluge. And, and I will tell you right now that he sent the light and he sent the truth in his son, Jesus Christ. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to, to bear witness about the light that, he, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have the light. We have the truth. It is Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. Psalmist didn't know that. We know that looking back, right? We, we have it, hope in God. Then I will go to the altar of God, says verse 4, to, my, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. My God, my exceeding joy. God is the true source of joy. Happiness is cheap. It's driven by circumstances and situations. Joy is from the Lord's. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The situation that's creating the mourning and the sorrow is still there. But the psalmist now has confidence that God has heard and will answer. Outwardly, we don't, I don't think anything's changed, but it's the heart that has changed, and the psalmist now is beginning to see victory and is beginning to seem 
relief, and we have that same victory and that same relief, hope in God. It's, it's the gospel. So when the psalmist stops talking to himself about his situation and starts addressing his words to God, about God, the beginning of deliverance is in sight. But when we turn to him, when we recognize him for who he is and appeal to him, in light of what's going on around us, there is deliverance. The first step has been taken that leads to a life of praise and of worship and of spiritual health, biblical thinking. The drought may still be there, but God's there. We still may feel overwhelmed with life and the situation, but we see God in it. We can't change situations all the time. We can't do it. But we can change the way that we respond. We can change our thinking, we can change our emotions, and we can change our actions. Right? That's what the psalm is saying. God is is there. Hope in him. We should not be overwhelmed or cast down. We should be joyful. We should go to God. We should trust his sovereignty, knowing that all will be well and he will overrule things for, for good. And he has sent us the lights and the truth that we need for this life to help us with that balance of life in a sinful world, eternity with Jesus, hope in God. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you um, for this text. Lord, I thank you for those three words, hope in God. Lord, I thank you that you are a loving and gracious and merciful God. We see that so clearly in your gospel, sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debts. So, yes, you do care, and you are involved in the everyday working out of our life in this sinful, harsh world. Lord, and I know that there are times when the life in this world can be overwhelming. We feel like we're drowning. Lord, life in this world, we can just feel so dry and disconnected. Lord, but whenever there's a relationship break, it's not you, it's us. So I pray, Lord, that we would be quick to see the sin in our life, that we would be quick to see the areas where we are falling short, we are not hoping in you, and we would confess them and turn from them, Lord, and we would seek you out, we would talk to you about who you are, we'd see your goodness and your graciousness and your mercy and your love. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.